Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. So if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus and chapter number 12. We are continuing with the life and ministry of Moses. And we've already observed him as he's been walking through these plagues. So now we're going to fast forward a little bit. And we want to go ahead and cover all the plagues together. Understanding what God is trying to do in the midst of all of these plagues. We know that the immediate thing is that he is... Wearing down the Egyptians so that way Pharaoh would finally let God's people go. But in a spiritual sense, God is doing something above and beyond than just the physical. That God is attacking all of the gods of Egypt. And in fact, he pronounces that same exact thing in the book of Exodus in chapter number 12. So in the book of Exodus in chapter number 12, notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Exodus chapter number 12, and notice with me in verse number 12. The book of Exodus chapter 12, and in verse number 12, the Bible says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And if you wouldn't mind to <clears throat> notice a phrase that we find right there, where God says, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And with this, we want to hit this message here, seeing where God shows himself more powerful than any of the Egyptian gods. And we'll go through a little bit of history and a little bit of Egyptian mythology to understand what God is doing and whom he's attacking at this time. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And I'm so thankful that you are trustworthy. That you are a bigger God than any other invisible little G God there ever was or could be. You were the true and living God. You are the all-powerful God. You are the creator God. And Lord, I'm asking that as we go through here, even though there's going to be some history and some other things, I'm asking that you would put it all together to help us to understand who you are. Be with me now. Be with my mind, my thoughts. Help it to put it together in a clear, coherent way that would be a blessing to these dear folks. I never want to be a hindrance and I never want to be a waste of time. Help it to be something special and something a blessing to draw us close to you. Again, the best I know how, I'm asking that I surrender myself to you. Fill me with your precious spirit so that way you are in charge and you direct my path now. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we had said, with each of these plagues, God is proving himself superior to all of the gods of Egypt. One by one and group by group, God is taking out all of the gods of Egypt. Remember that all, the Egyptians 
had tons of God. They were very idolatrous and they had thousands of gods. In fact, the only culture or society that might even rival the Egyptians for how many gods they have would be the modern day Hindus, which once again, they have thousands of gods. And so what's happening here is that God is declaring war on all of them. And he's going to prove himself faithful and that he is the true and living God over all of them. Now, many of the Egyptian gods were assumed to take the form of animals. So because of this, the Egyptians considered bulls and cows, rams, cats, crocodiles, cobras, frogs, and various insects and birds to be sacred, meaning that they belonged to those gods. And so they would treat these animals very special. Now, they wouldn't take the extremes that the uh, Hindus would do, go but they would have a, these animals would have a special part of egyptian religion now as we tackle here let's cover these different plagues the first plague that would go upon egypt would be the plague of blood which is found in exodus chapter 7 and verses 14 through 25 now in this plague it was directed towards the nile itself <coughs> The Nile, remember, as we had talked about before, was the heart of Egypt. It was the life bread of Egypt. It was how, how Egypt stayed alive in the midst of this desert. Because of this, everyone was dependent upon life for the Nile. Now, if you're a religious society and you have something that is important to life, of course, there's going to be many gods that are associated with it. Now, we know that the crops were irrigated by the Niles. The fields were dependent upon the fertile soil to be washed up by the river every year. The Nile was also the primary highway for the country. Much of its trade and commerce went through the Nile. So how was this judgment against the Egyptian gods? Well, because the Nile was so important to the Egyptians that they worshipped several gods who were responsible for watching over the Nile. One of them would be the great god Kutum, who was usually represented as a human male with a ram's head. Now, you'll notice this theme that many of the Egyptians' gods, they didn't have a human head. They just replaced it with an animal head. Here is one. He had a ram's head, and he was reviewed, <laughs> viewed as the giver and the guardian of the Nile River. Well, he didn't do his job. God was able to attack the Nile River. How about another one? You had a happy the spirit of the Nile that was uh, credited with the annual Nile flood that brought thousands of tons of fresh topsoil to refertilize the land every year. And they would use this soil to do the crops. He was also honored as the god of fishes, birds, and marshes, which is why he's often depicted as with marsh plants on his head. Yet, the, he was not able to protect the Nile. One of the Egyptians' trinity of their greatest gods was Osiris, the god of the underworld. The Egyptians viewed the Nile River as his bloodstream, and now it was literally blood because of what God did. And so God has this first um, <coughs> plague that is actually affecting the Nile River and attacking multiple gods at the same time, showing that all of them together could not stop what God was doing and God's power. 
Now you can imagine the horror and the feelings of abandonment the Egyptians had as they looked on the formerly beautiful, powerful, and life-sustaining river that was just now a giant stinking cesspool full of dead, dead and rotting fish upon the shores. It was not a pleasant sight to have it all full of blood. And the Egyptians are looking and say, What just happened to our gods? What happened to the Nile? What happened to this life-giving thing? Now, the second plague, which we covered this morning, would be the plague of frogs, which covered the goddess Het. One more night with the stinking frogs. Now, in the Egyptian religion, it was illegal to kill a frog. People worship frogs as the goddess Het. Now, she represented the new life and fertility, and her priestesses were often trained as midwives. Now, frogs were viewed as sacred in Egypt because they lived in two worlds. They lived in the water, and they lived in the land. So, because of this, they were considered very special animals. To kill a frog was to invite infertility or death during childbirth. You did not want to aggravate this goddess. And yet, in the Bible, not only did he bring up those frogs, and the pe- they were in people's beds, they were jumping in the ovens, they were everywhere you went. But if you remember, at the end of that passage we read this morning, God killed all the frogs and had them all piled up. So the frogs that they considered part of the goddess Hecht, he killed them all. They had no power, and so they were afraid to kill them. But God wasn't. He had no problems getting rid of them for them. The third plague, and we covered the first two before. Now let's hit some of the ones we haven't hit so far. The third plague was the plague of lice. And this attacked the goddess, God Geb, the god of the earth. This is found in the book of Exodus chapter 8. Now this plague was perhaps directed in some measure to Geb, who was the god of the earth. <clears throat> the Egyptians would give offerings to Geb for the bounty of the land. So what they would do is they would um, give an offering to Geb, and in return, Geb would give them things like good f- crops, good pleasant land, f- flowers, things that would come up. But instead, this time... And rather than the land bringing forth crops and fruits and vegetables, it brought forth itching and biting lice. Their god Geb was shown to be powerless to present it. So here are these lice that are beginning to plague everything. Pharaoh too was considered to be a god, yet he was personally afflicted by lice. For anybody who's ever had lice, you know that that's not a fun thing. They get everywhere. Now, it's interesting to see how this even affected the priest of the gods of Egypt. The Greek historian Herodotus, who traveled to ancient Egypt, tells us that the Egyptian priest had to perform many cleanliness rituals in order to serve their roles as priest. Now, some of these rituals were specifically to be avoided from being infected with lice, Which, if they had lice, they would not be able to carry out their duties as a priest. So, here are these priests now that are infected with lice. Now they can't perform their ritual services. They could not even go into the temples to lead worship of the Egyptian gods. Because they were considered unsuitable to perform the rituals. 
So God is now starting to shut down the daily religion of Egypt. Remember, as I said before, religion played such an important part of Egyptian life. You would wake up to a religious ceremony. You'd go to sleep to a religious ceremony. Before you eat, you had a religious ceremony. And to start to shut down religion is going to affect all of Egyptian lifestyle. How do we respond when our life is turned topsy-turvy? Basically, this is their 2020. As everything's turning crazy on them. The next would be the plague of flies, which would be the sacred scarabs. Now, the swarms in this passage were swarms of another flying and crawling insect that the Egyptians considered holy, the sacred, or the scarab beetle. These were actually dung beetles, types of insects that would feed on manure. The scarab beetles could also be very destructive because they had mandibles that could saw through wood. Have you ever seen a scarab beetle? They're pretty huge type creatures. And they got big old claws, uh, uh, mouth mandibles, and they could dig. Now the Egyptian god Kepler was depicted as a man with a dung beetle in place of his head. How would you like that? And so instead of a head, he had a dung beetle for a face. And Kepler was viewed as the god who pushed the sun across the sky. Now, how do you get this correlation here? Well, he's associated with the dung beetle because the dung beetles would roll manure into spherical balls. Then they would push those balls around in the ground, similar to how they saw Kepler push the sun across the sky. And so, you know, as... This ball would be moved. That's how they thought. Kepler was behind the scenes moving the sun throughout the sky. Now with this plague coming here, this thing that they saw as a a renewal of life has now been attacking them. The Egyptians also considered the scarab beetles as divine since they emerged from dead animals or manure. And thus they were viewed as being created from dead matter. So in their eyes, they would have this dead carcass. And after a while, from this dead carcass, these beetles would start to come out. Where did they come from? Because of this, they became to be associated with rebirth and resurrection. What they did not understand is that the beetles had just simply laid their eggs in that dead animals. And then the beetles would hatch and then crawl out. It had nothing to do with being divine. It was just the natural order of things. Kind of like how many people thought that flies and mag- or maggots were produced from dead meat. There's no thing, such thing as spontaneous combustion. They just didn't understand that the eggs were being laid in it. And they would eventually come out. So when the swarm of creatures invaded the land and got into everything. Now, again, it's not just a bothersome outside. They're getting into everything. All of this is being directed to the god Kepler, who had such an important part of religion inside of Egypt. Now, Kepler was shown to be incapable of controlling these highly destructive insects that were now chewing their way through Egyptian houses, going through the wood, destroying the actual places where they live at, and their God could do nothing to stop it. Note that this is also the first plague where God had made a distinction between his people and the Egyptians. The Israelites had suffered the previous plagues alongside the Egyptians, but now God kept this and the remaining plagues away from Goshen, where, 
excuse me, where his people live. So now there's a space. Now there's a distance. And God is protecting his people from the, these destructive plagues that are now coming across them. Next would become the plague of Moraine, which would be attack on Apis, the sacred bull. Now, Moraine was a type of disease that would affect cattle. Notice as we go on. This plague was created an enormous economic disaster for the Egyptians. It affected their food, transportation, military capability, farming capability, and economic goods where was, where that was produced by livestock. Now, what happened is that God had allowed these the special disease to hit the, the cows. And now the cows are unable to perform their daily duties. Think about how many farmers were dependent upon the oxen to help them in the field. Think of how many merchants were dependent on the, um, the cows to be able to move merchandise and move wagons. Think of people who were traveling and they would use these oxen to move them forward. Now with this plague upon all of these animals now their daily life is being affected their finances are being affected their livelihood is being affected now cattle in egypt were not just highly valued but they were also considered sacred the egyptians worshiped many animals among them would be bulls and heifers and above the top of the food chain in their mind and religion would be this sacred bull this apis bull the creation god Putta was represented by a living bull known as the apis bull. And they had so many ceremonies that would go after this bull. So what would happen is that from time to time you would have a very special bull. And they would call it the apis bull. And they served this bull just like they would a pharaoh. Do you need any more grass? They would decorate it. They would worship it. They would pray to it. They would spend time with it. And if you can imagine your mascot, this God that lives among you, this God that you labor and take care of. Man, that's a lucky bull, by the way. Get spoiled and taken care of and everyone wants to spend time with it. But now this bull is sick. Now, the apis bull was sacred. And when it died, the Egyptians mourned as though they had lost a pharaoh. After death, the apis bull was embalmed and put into a tomb just like a pharaoh. Even today, if you've ever gone to an Egyptian museum, um, you would see that they would have, along with the mummies, this apis bull that, from their era that would be wrapped up and mummified and taken care of. And so this was a big deal for this uh, animal that was considered so sacred to become sick. After this came the plague of boils. This came from Typhon, the evil genius. Now, most of the, the Egyptian gods that we had covered so far were good guy gods, meaning that they were the ones you wanted to be on the good side of. But Typhon, who was also known as Set, was an evil god. So notice that God is not distinguishing, well, I'll take care of all of your good guy gods. God says, I don't care who they are. They're nothing compared to me. I'll even take down your evil gods. How about that? So here we have Tet or Siphon or Typhon or Set. Typhon was the Greek equivalent. So in Greek, we would call it Typhon. In Egyptian, it would be Set. 
But Set was an evil god who was attacking the other Egyptian gods. Set was the evil god in charge of volcanoes, storms, and the desert. All these destructive forces. And according to Egyptian mythology and Greek mythology, uh, Set was always looking for a way to destroy the other gods. Looking for a way to try to show the other gods that they were nothing to him. He was the evil genius. He was smart. Now... <laughs> In the Bible, notice with me if you don't mind, in the book of uh, Exodus chapter number 9. I want to show you something. In the book of Exodus chapter number 9, notice as God gives instructions to Moses. Notice with me in Exodus chapter 9, notice with me starting at verse number 8. Exodus chapter 9 and verse number 8. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, take you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it towards the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. So Moses, you go to these special furnaces, and I'll talk about the furnaces in a second. You go scoop up a handful of dust, or, or this ashes, and I want you to go before Pharaoh, let him see what you're doing. And verse number 9, And it shall become small dust in all of the land of Egypt, and it shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast and throughout the land of Egypt. And they took the ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up towards heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And all the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all of the Egyptians. Now this is a significant command that's referring to the slavery of Israel. There were temples dedicated to Typhon where they would sacrifice people into it by burning them alive. And so these ashes would actually be the remains of people that had been sacrificed by the Egyptians. And normally for the Egyptians, when they would take the ashes of the victim and where the ashes of dust carried them, a blessing would entail. So for the Egyptians, they would sacrifice somebody. They would roast them alive, cook them alive, and their ashes would remain. And then for the Egyptians, they would take this ashes throw it up in the air, and wherever this dust would hit, that person was going to get a blessing from the evil god Typhon. And they would go through this ceremony. And God said, no, 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 let's do this. You go take a handful of those ashes, and you go before Pharaoh and say, you're used to getting blessings from this? Let's see what happens now. Throws it up in the air, and some of this dust would be carried by the wind and hit somebody. And wherever it hit a boil would begin to erupt on their body. A boil would be like a pus-filled um, <coughs> boil, and it would begin to break, and it would begin to ooze this pus over. And it would be very painful as that skin would rub off, and that uh, lower epidermis would be exposed. And anywhere this dust, you can imagine Moses throwing it up, and this dust multiplied, and it went all throughout Egypt. And any person or any animal it touched would immediately have boils. These painful boils. And it would be all over them. Now, what a horrible thing that would occur. 
So when Moses threw the ashes, the ashes turned into dust that caused boils upon man and beast instead of the blessings they were used to supposing. Now verse 11 pointedly mentions that the magicians suffer the boils. The priests with their magical powers, especially of the cult of Sekhmet, another goddess of healing beside her major role of the war goddess, were also the doctors of ancient Egypt. So these are the people that studied their science. They studied the mystical arts. They studied these things. They're the ones who have been trying to reproduce God's miracles. Now they are reflected by boilers. You think they're going to try to reproduce this one? Probably not. So now they're hurting. Now what's this going to do? The magicians suffered so horribly from the boils that they could barely stand, let alone use the power of their apparent powerless gods to heal others. So they couldn't even heal themselves, much less anyone else. On top of that, let's kind of follow through what God is doing to the religion of Egypt. With the plague of lice, the priests are unqualified to serve their gods. Religion is halted. With the plague of boils, the priests are physically unable to perform their duties. Religion is stopped. Now all of the priests, because they're trying to take care of their own physical problems, cannot serve their gods and their religion. No religion ceremonies are going on right now. Everything has stopped. And remember that Egyptian life is centered around religion. And everything has stopped. God is destroying the religion of Egypt. He's destroying it spiritually by these plagues. Spiritually as representations attacking these gods. He's tearing down um, Pharaoh and softening his heart so we'll let the people go. But he's also doing something in a practical matter to stop the evil, false worship of these little g-gods of Egypt. Now we come to the next one. The plague of hail and fire, which was against Shu, the god of the atmosphere. Here's the next one. Shu was the god of light the god of air, and was also the god of wind, and represented the earth's atmosphere. As the god of light, he represented illuminating the primordial darkness, and he marked the separation of day and night between the world of the living and the world of the dead. This is a big god here. So he's the one who separates light from darkness. He's the god that separates the living from the dead. As the God of the air, he represents the space between the earth and heaven. And he's the one that gives breath of life to all living creatures. We see an old Egyptian artifact of Shu holding up the heavens and trying to keep it from the earth. We'll cover that in a second. But this was his job. He was an important God. As the god of the wind, the sailors invoked him to provide good winds to power their boats. The clouds were considered to be his bones. And he supported the ladder by which the deceased souls could go into heaven. He was the one who held it in place. It was said that the god Shu had to keep the sky and earth from touching. If the sky and the earth were to touch, then all life would 
cease to exist. Basically, everything would explode. Nothing would happen, uh, exist anymore. Life can't be here. So his job was to carry the weight and to make sure that the sky would never touch the earth. Now, with the plague of fire and ice coming from heaven. And by the way, that is a major miracle to have both fire and ice coming from the sky. And shoo, this powerful God could do nothing to stop it. God is slowly knocking down all of the major gods and all the little g-gods. He's knocking them all out, showing they are powerless in his mind. And that Shu could do nothing to stop both fire and ice coming from heaven at the same time. The Bible goes on and talks about this in uh, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9. Um, it says that he that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and cattle flee to the houses. And he that regardeth not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the, in the field. So here it's talking about that everyone who who started to say, you know what, we don't want to mess with this God. By this time, the Egyptians were starting to say, you know what, maybe there's something to this Hebrew God. And now when they got warning, hey, God is going to send another plague, fire, and ice is coming, going to come from heaven, some of the Egyptians who started to fear God said, you know what, I think we're going to stay inside now. I don't think we're going to go to the grocery store. I don't think we're going to go out and see Aunt Kathy. I think we'll be fine right here. And they brought in their cattle and they brought everyone in and they kept them from going out. But there was still plenty that said, ah, ah, come on, this has just been some freak things that's happening. There's nothing else that could happen. There's nothing more that 2020 can do to us. And they were wrong. Here's fire and ice coming from the sky. Destroying all their little G-God. Destroying their livelihood. Destroying their crops. Verse number 31 of chapter 9. It says the crops were completely destroyed and laid flat. Now we come to another plague. The plague of locust. This was against a specific God of Seraphah. The protector from the locust. They actually had a God that they would pray to. Lord. God, Seraphah, please don't let locusts come. Please don't let locusts come. The reason why this would be a big deal is because locusts of the ancient world, even in the modern world, are nasty. Locust invasions were a plague and a, a, <clears throat> a fight to the people of the world. The worst uh, locust plague in modern times struck the Middle East in the 1950s. In Iran, Iraq, and Jordan, and Saudi Arabia... Every green thing in hundreds of thousands square miles were destroyed. Now, when locusts come, they eat anything that is plant-based. They eat anything that is biological. So if you have a belt that's hanging on the clothesline, no more belt. If you have any clothes that's hanging on the clothesline, no more clothes. If you have a, a sack of grain, well, there goes the grain and the sack. They destroyed everything. So plagues, especially in the ancient world, in the modern world too, were horrible things to behold. In the ancient world, they were called the teeth of the wind, the incarnation of hunger. 
And human intervention has never stopped a locust plague. Even in modern times, man cannot stop a locust plague. What stops a locust plague? Drought. When there's nothing to eat, they die out. That's the only way they are stopped. That's kind of a scorched earth program, isn't it? In a breeding area, there could be 5,000 eggs per square yard of locusts. And then they hatch, and then they begin to meet each other. If conditions become crowded, the insects actually seek each other's company and constantly touch each other. This behavior triggers a change in color, and they turn from green to yellow to black and to finally red. And these locust plagues that would come, you could almost tell how many locusts are around by the color of the locusts that come. And if they are red, you better hunker down because they're going to eat everything. Then the locusts, once they start banding together, uh, they begin to march. The smaller bands begin to merge into larger ones. And they begin to move forward in the same direction and start to do swaths in the land. A medium-sized swarm can contain more than a billion locusts, and some swarms have got to a million billion, uh, extending 200 square miles. I mean, that's how, if you were to take the dimensions of where the swarm was, you would have 200 square miles of locust. Massive beast. In verse number 7 of chapter 10, the conclusion of this is this. And Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou yet, or knowest thou not yet, that Egypt is destroyed? He said, Pharaoh, these locusts have come. It was one thing when beforehand the, it turned into blood. After that, the frogs came and that didn't do too much damage. It was inconvenient. But then the lice came and they were eating away at us. And after that, our, our cattle got sick and, and things began our, to go to a halt. Finances began to show down. But then the boils but after that, the fire and the hail, that destroyed the crops. And we might be able to recover a little bit from this. But after the locusts came, there was nothing. Nothing. At this time, if you trace Egyptian history, Egypt is at its height of power. It was the biggest and baddest World civilization at that time. And after this, they were destroyed and had reset and start from scratch. Because they were completely destroyed. This is even marked inside of Egyptian history. After this came a very dis disconcerting plague. The plague upon darkness. With a direct attack upon Ra, the sun god. 
This plague of darkness was a judgment upon Egypt's religion and entire culture. Of all the gods of Egypt, none was worshipped as much as the sun. Even Pharaoh himself was considered the son of Ra, the sun god. The sun god, variously known as Re, Ra, Atum, Aten, sometimes as Horus, became identified with the supreme god of Amun, Amun or Ammon. Sometimes you would have that together as Amun-Ra, the two gods together, which would both be the god of the sun. Amun-Ra thus was considered the greatest of all of the gods of Egypt. He was viewed as the creator, the giver of life. The one who flooded the lands with his energizing rays. And yet, there was a darkness. How bad was the darkness? The darkness was not an eclipse, because an eclipse only lasts for a moment. This was a type of supernatural darkness that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Maybe some of you have had the privilege of going into a cave. And you go deep into the cave, like a Rushmore cave. And I hear that there's some caves here in in Wisconsin. And they could take you to the center of the cave. And they'll tell people to go against the wall because they don't want anybody to move. They'll make sure that everyone's stable. And then they'll turn off all the lights. There is nothing you can see. It is an eerie thing. Because even in low light, you could kind of see your hand a little bit. You could make out something. But there's something about that eerie feeling that just makes your insides quiver when there's the absence of light altogether. And they were not in a cave. This is going outside and you can't see your hand in front of your face. This is going inside your house and you can't see anything. You can't see your children. You can hear their voice. You can't see your wife. You have to feel for everything. It's like everyone was blind for this, as long as this plague was here. Could you imagine such a supernatural, eerie plague that would be descended upon the land? What's even more amazing is that after all of this, Pharaoh was still not willing to allow God to have his way. Have you ever met someone so stubborn? After all of that, still would not surrender to God. Still would not listen. But God had one more plague. And that was the death of the firstborn, which would be the attack on all of the gods and all of the Egyptians. For the ancient Egyptians, the firstborn of all families were dedicated to a certain god. Then they would become the priests of the god. For example, if you were the firstborn of your family, whether male or female, raise your hand. Not a lot of us, okay. Well, if you raised your hand, you would be dedicated from birth to serve one god for the rest of your life. And you wouldn't have a choice in a job. You wouldn't become a farmer. You wouldn't become a teacher. You would become a priest or a priestess of that God you were dedicated to. And so every firstborn child was, hopefully you can see where I'm going to this, every firstborn child was the preachers, the priests, the priestesses, and only the firstborn. 
When the firstborn of Egypt is killed, all of the priests, all of the priests for the false god were killed in one night. There was no longer any priest or priestesses left after this plague. So this is, if you ever wondered, why did God kill the firstborn? Because he's destroying the religion. Before, he halted the religion. Then he stopped it. And now he destroyed it. Religion didn't exist in Egypt because they're all gone. Which brings us back to Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 12. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12. Now again, I just did a summary version, hit and run type thing. You could study more. I passed out a chart and I made it available for you. We're taking the quick version, but we're trying to get the one principle across. What's the principle? Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Notice this. I am the Lord. So what you have on one side is all of the Egyptian religion, all of the Egyptian gods, all of the false system. And on the other side, you have one, the God of the universe, the God of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This God stands. And let me tell you that there's still only one God. Now, We do live in a polytheistic society. You say, what is that? Poly means many. Theistic means belief in God. We live in a polytheistic society. We live in a society that believes in many gods. Many little g gods. Some of them are religious gods. But God is bigger than them all. God is bigger than the Pope. God is bigger than Joseph Smith. God is bigger than Eddie, May, uh, Eddie uh, Mayor, Baker, whatever else, and all of our other last names that go along with it. God is bigger than Confucius. God is not Allah. By the way, that's a different study in itself. Allah comes from the moon god, Sin, who Abraham's daddy had worshipped. It is not the God of the Bible. It is a different God altogether. Now, I understand... Different places around the world, what I just said is a hate crime. I'm just telling you the truth. There is only one God. And we can't compromise. That we have to stick with the God of the Bible because he's the true and living God. It's not the idea that our God's better than their God and that there's an equivalency. Our God is the only God. Period. That is not popular in today's culture. Today's culture wants you to say, well, it's all right, whichever God you worship, you could worship the God of the sun, the God of the sky. You could pick an Egyptian God. Pick any American God. But there's only one God. And he goes beyond culture, beyond time, beyond hemisphere. There is only one God. And we can know him. He is a personal God. Who wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to know him as personal savior. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to walk with you on a daily basis. He wants you to talk with him. He is a real God. That you can know. 
What we're trying to do is give you an encouragement that this God stands above any other false God. And God has no problem proving himself over and over and over. You could go to Mount Carmel where you have one prophet, Elijah, against 450 prophets of Baal and 400 personal priests of Jezebel. And let me tell you, God won out. You could take some poor Hebrew people who started to worship a box more than God. And that box was taken. And the Ark of the Covenant was brought to the Philistines. And they put it into a closet. And when they came back, their god Dagon, the statue, was knocked over. Well, who did this? The next day it's knocked over. The next day it's head and cut hands are cut off. God could take care of himself. This is the same God that decided to plague all of the Philistines, every city that this Ark of the Covenant was at with hemorrhoids. Until they said, you know what, we can't stand this no more. I think we're giving back and let's give an offering for it. Please make this go away. Our God can prove himself. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to defend God. I can let God defend himself because he's a real God. You know what that means? That means that I don't have to get upset when someone doesn't believe like I do. Because God's real. You know, the only reason why people get upset sometimes is that they feel like they have to convince someone or force someone to believe that their God is real. I don't. I just let them loose. God could take care of it. God can answer prayers. God could take care of them. God is real. You know what this does for us? This means even when we pray, your prayers are not just being carried around with the wind and you hope they hit something. You're not making religious chants. Nothing that's like more horrible than to go to the Orient and see those prayer wheels where the people desperate for prayers, they put their prayers on these prayer wheels hoping that the prayer wheel will take that prayer somewhere. And it goes nowhere. Our prayers are... Go to a person who hears us. And there's no busy signal. There's no call waiting. There's no one for English and two for Spanish. There's no leave a message at the sound of the beep. He hears us. He is real. Because he's real, he could also forgive me of my sins. Because he's real. Because he lives He could do these things. What I'm trying to tell you is that I'm not asking you to believe in a mythology. I'm not asking you to believe in a fairy tale. I'm not asking you to believe in my opinion. I'm asking you to trust a real God. Who can prove himself. And does prove himself. Over and over and often. I'm trying to give you confidence. That even tonight, on a Sunday night, you're not wasting your time by being here. This is not a waste of time because we're worshiping a true and living God. That when you worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, it's not a waste. Because God is honored by it and he uses it little as much when God is in it. Now, I'm glad that we don't have to leave food for him and just let it sit here. Our God doesn't need substance. We're just honoring him and he uses these things. He could take care of it. 
I'm so thankful that we have a real God who is also reasonable. There are so many gods of the world that is unreasonable. Think about the God Typhon who we just said there. That in order to receive his blessing, you would have to sacrifice a human. Take its ashes and throw it up in the air and hope that the wind would carry those ashes to to you or to whoever you want to be blessed. Aren't you glad we don't have to perform that ceremony? Otherwise, some of you would start giving me a list of names to consider. And we don't need to do that. I'm trying to give you encouragement. Our God is real. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? Because I also know that there's an enemy. There's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That word devour means to make disappear. And I know that liar because he's spoken to me, just like he's spoken to you. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure from time to time that as you're reading your Bible, you're like, this is a waste. Sometimes when you show up to church, you just have that that thing. You wouldn't admit it out loud, but there's that nagging thing. Is this true? Am I wasting my time? Sometimes when you pray, you think, is there someone listening? I want to tell you that there is a real God. And it is not a waste. Don't let that liar put doubt in your mind. Don't let someone try to steal away your joy. Because our joy is in Jesus. And he's real. What I'm trying to do is trying to give you some encouragement tonight. That we serve a real God. And he could defend himself. Because he's real. And he's proven himself over and over and over. Even history proclaims there is a God. Even nature proclaims there is a God. And because we have a risen Savior. That proclaims there is a God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.